Hi, it's Caroline Stephen, financial journalist. Today on Talking Trading, we take a look at what's going on around the world with Chris Tate as Chris gives a wrap of the markets for the week ending the 13th of September. Louise Bedford today discusses clarity of mind and the basics of a trading plan in MindPower. And Jason McIntosh from Motion Trader talks on the biggest mistake that he sees traders making. Things have got so complicated these days, we don't have time to think. Well, we think we don't have time to think. We don't make the time to think. We are so much submitted to an onslaught of information and data. We're so worried about, should we try that mocha cafe latte with a twist of fair trade extra caffeine that we don't actually think about the important things in our life anymore. You know, years ago, you could shake somebody's hand and say, I give you my word, I will do this. And in your heart, you would know it would be a done deal. These days, to cross the street, we need a 50-page contract signed in triplicate and damn well certified as well. It's quite ridiculous how far we have driven this society in terms of complexity. But don't you fall into that same category with your trading. Don't think that the more complicated your trading plan and the more cluttered it is with formula and code and detail, don't you dare think that that will make you a more effective trader. The best traders have a simplicity of thought, a clarity of mind, and they strip away everything apart from the very necessary basics in order to place their trade Work out how much to put in, work out how to get in and how to get out. That is the core essence of a fantastic trading plan. And if your trading plan is running into 15 pages, you are doing this wrong. Get this down to a one-page plan for your entry, your exit and your position sizing. We don't need complication. We need simplicity because that leads to clarity. Give yourself the proverbial shake of hand and say, yes, this is a done deal, that you will keep on going until you conquer this. Apparently, when I was just a child, my first sentence was do by self. In other words, rack off everybody, I'm going to do this myself. What about you now? Do you feel that you are capable of doing this as a commitment to yourself? Because the first person you have to convince regarding your plans for the future is yourself. If you don't believe in your own goals, if you're so distracted because you can't focus on what is really important to you, then you're never going to honor your commitment. Make some space to think about what you really want. Remember the thing that is driving you. And I'll bet you it's not a piece of Metastock coding, I'll bet you it's something to do with you, your friends, your family, the ripple effect that you can make into the world. Reignite that spark, reignite that enthusiasm that you came into this game with and keep it simple so that you can honour your commitment to yourself.
CT, hello and welcome. Hi, Caroline. News of the day is oil. Iranian drones have destroyed 50% of Saudi oil production. Yeah, I, I, must, I must admit, when I first heard that, I'm, I would place the 50% mark in the same vein as I place estimates of the number of people who watch the Olympics. Because apparently, according to the Olympics last time in Rio, they were watched by 30 billion people given there's, what, less than 7 billion on the planet, that's somewhat of a feat. So how the hell they would know that they've knocked out 50% of all their capacity, which does seem like a big number. But the thing is it did cause oil to leap $10 in early morning trade, and it's had a flow-on effect to, you know, perceptions of markets throughout Southeast Asia and in the US. But that seems to have been somewhat muted as of, you know, us talking now. Uh, Sane ahead seemed to have responded and gone. Yeah, I think the fifty percent number's overselling it a little bit. <laughs> Let's talk about major US indexes. How are they performing? The Dow has been flirting right up until the time somebody decided to take an axe to Saudi oil refineries at, at about the twenty seven thousand three hundred mark, and it's been flirting with that. It's for you know. It's fallen back on news of this strike on the facilities. And the pattern's the same for the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500. American markets have, uh, I must say, quite a remarkable resilience. Despite all the talk of interest rates, of recession, of having a man-baby who's orange in the White House, markets just go of their own, in their own direction, do their own thing. They don't really seem to care. Okay, let's look at the UK. Progress about the contentious Irish backstop has now affected how the markets are looking. The intrig- I do feel some some sympathy for the English because they're stuck in the fantasy land of Borisville, where I, I believe he's now pretending he's the Incredible Hulk as opposed to the incredibly fophead dickhead, which is more appropriate for him. He did the go th- to Oxford. That- yeah, that's not really saying a lot, though, is it? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, that's not something I'd hang my hat on. Europe in, in and of itself is split. You have the UK, which is making all the noise. Uh, and I, I believe it was Omar Khayyam who once said that an empty vessel makes the most noise. And this is the problem with the UK at present. It's an empty vessel and it's making a great deal of noise, which is affecting its market. If you contrast that with, say, the Eurostox 50, it's flirting with its July high of a few months ago. So there is this dichotomy between the UK, as you would expect, which grabs all the headlines and makes all the noise, and the rest of Europe, which, like the US, just does seem to be getting on with its own thing, because a hard Brexit exit will affect the UK much more than it will affect Europe. Europe doesn't give us stuff because it doesn't affect them. They don't care. If the English want to have this no-deal, throw-your-teddies-out-of-the-pram approach, then it will affect them much more than it will affect the Europeans, which is why the English have secretly been building contingency plans to deal with shortages in not such vital things as medicine and food. 
The Europeans won't suffer those shortages. The English will. What's happening down under? We're still about 200 points shy of, you know, the high watermark set in July. And unfortunately, that mark in July failed to take out the 2007 high. So we still haven't moved beyond where we were pre-GFC. Now, admittedly, the run-up in the pre-GFC period was a spectacular one. Our market was probably one of the best-performing markets in the world. And so our hangover from that has been extreme. Add to that uh, a, a scarcity of funds, simply because all money looked for a safe haven in real estate. And you have a market that is still... It is buoyant and positive in, in bits and pieces, but it is still struggling to have this widespread secular move. Where is it performing? What sectors? Unfortunately, at present, we were looking good in things like gold and iron ore. But when we look at the precious metals, gold, palladium, silver, they'd all, they all had been doing very well. So we're looking past tense. The same as with iron ore. Mm. So it does seem that in the short term that that opportunity window has closed. The, the movement we got in the unhedged junior miners was good. The movement we got in stocks like Mount Gibson, which is a surrogate for uh, iron ore, was very good. But that, we're now talking past tense, unfortunately. And in the very, very short term, if you have very short term systems, strangely enough, the bright spot has been the Australian dollar. But again, it's only a short-term move within a much longer-term downtrend. So it's not that positive. We still look fairly ordinary against all major currencies, uh, except against the Kiwi, where we've been doing fabulously well. Other commodities? Commodities present an interesting face at present. Oil fascinates me, or the energy sector in general fascinates me, because we have this duality of things occurring. We have attempts by the world's largest military power, the US, to concoct confrontation because they're clearly bored with not getting the job done in either Iraq or Afghanistan. And we have a bunch of religious lunatics in Iran who, it doesn't matter how many times you roar around in your Toyota Hilux yelling, God is great, you'll still get your ass handed to you by the world's largest military. So you've got those two things occurring. But intriguingly, they're not moving the price of oil. You, you would have think if we'd gone back in time 20 or 30 years to this sort of geopolitical crisis in the Middle East, if you had a confrontation between the Arab nations and Israel, oil would have exploded. It doesn't seem to be doing it at present. And I just wonder whether there's not this other arm to it whereby we've come to a realisation that oil is changing in its economic importance. As a primary source of energy, its importance is dropping dramatically. The Americans have moved to fracking. Every other sensible nation, including China, is moving towards renewables. It's only primitive old countries and old thinking like Australia that continues to insist that things like oil and coal are the best thing in the world without actually realising that that time has passed. So Australia is a little bit like you know, the guy standing on the corner selling buggy whips when the first Model T Ford goes by going, no, that's a passing fad, that'll never catch on. People always want horses. Strangely. What about softs? Softs are always intriguing. I mean, in the past week or so, you've seen 
lifts in lumber and cotton. Cotton took off six, six and a half percent late in the week, which is something I'm acutely aware of because I, I have a long-term short position in it. But apart from that, you, you are getting some movement in the soy complex and wheat and the like. But what is interesting about SOFs, and we've spoken about this before, is that there does seem to have been a change in the tone of the way they are traded. It's now quite difficult at times to get very, very large outsized moves in SOFs. just doesn't seem to happen anymore. Whereas once upon a time, they were the mainstay of speculators. They're not now. Speculators seem to have moved to FX because of its liquidity. And once indices opened up as a mechanism for trading, they took a large part of the lion's share of speculators' money. And we've now got a third arm to this triad, which is uh, people's involvement in exchange-traded funds, which are literally the funds that have eaten the market. Because I, I believe, and I may have this figure wrong, there are now more ETFs in the US than there are listed stocks. What opportunities are you looking at this week? At present, I've started the week vaguely neutral. I'm currently long EU50, currently long Nikkei. I am long the Dow, but I'm not certain how long that will hold because it is at threshold at, at which I will punch it out at present. And I won't actually know, unfortunately, until the end of the day. I'm simply looking at small bits and pieces as they pop up. And as I said, because we're talking past tense with things like gold and the like, they were, unfortunately, from a month ago, so they've, they've now washed out of the system and the system has reset itself a little bit and is now just sitting there bubbling along waiting. CT, thank you for your market wrap update. Thanks, Caroline. Wouldn't you agree that if you could duplicate a professional trader system, you'd buy yourself back years? Years of pain if you were to learn by trial and error, Years of frustration as you fumbled around trying to work out what makes the market tick. But there is a different way, a simpler way. Learn from Jason McIntosh, a professional trader with three decades of trading experience. He's prepared a four-part video series for our traders and he's giving it to you for free. Go to motiontrader.com.au forward slash talking trading. That website again motiontrader.com.au forward slash talking trading. You'll get Jason's free training so that you can learn how to duplicate his system. Louise Bedford here. I'm so excited to have Jason McIntosh with me. We are at the Royal Sydney Yacht Squadron. It is a beautiful day. Thanks so much for bringing me here, Jason. Hey Louise, absolutely my pleasure. Now, Jason, I've got to say, I have loved following your career. So, beginning at BT, I used to invest with BT, oh my goodness, many, many years ago. And then you started Fat Profits. Tell us a bit about your background as a trader. Yeah, well, geez, it began a while ago now. I guess it began back when I was a teenager. And uh, back then it was all about, I was looking for the for the next stock that was going to double in value and, uh, and, and turn my... My five hundred dollars into a thousand dollars in a in a few weeks, 
needless to say, nothing ever doubled, or look, a few things doubled, but I never, never sold. I hold on all the way back down, so I'd always finish with next to nothing. It wasn't until I, um, I got my start at BT, at Bankers Trust in, oh, because back in 1991, that's when I actually first started to, to learn how to trade properly. So I probably went from being a, being a punter, might as well have just gone down the TAB, I went from being a punter to being, actually learning the, the processes to, to trade markets and to trade them consistently. So I was able to, to replicate the successes which I, which I eventually worked out how to make. And I think that word is so important. That word consistently, that's the key. Now, what would you say would be the biggest mistake that you see your traders making now that you're looking after a group of traders through Motion Trader? So many people want to trade, and uh, it's just not the most intuitive thing and the uh, most intuitive pursuit to take up. The biggest problem I see is uh, people, they sell their best trades or sell their winners too early and then they hold their their losses too long it's like it's funny you think about like in most most careers and most things we do in life where we're rewarded for, for getting things right so you get something right you um you chalk it up as a, a win but in in trading it doesn't quite work the same way so people might get a, a 10 percent profit and they'll they'll quickly take it and think well that's a win i'm doing really well but the, the thing is, the, the traders who do the best are the ones who can resist the urge to take that quick profit, that quick quick reward. So it might, might make them feel like they're doing well, but by doing so, they're, they're actually limiting their, their upside potential and what their portfolios or, or their, you know, their trades could actually make. On the flip side, when they start to lose money on a trade, rather than go, look, I got that one wrong, I'll rule off, and walk away, come back and try another trade, they'll, they'll persist. Because, you know, in life we're often rewarded for persisting. You know, we're told, always told, don't give up, keep trying. People will take it with, um, with an individual stock. It doesn't work the same way as it does with, with other things in life. You persist with a losing stock, well, you can end up riding all the way down to zero. It's so true. So for your own trading, for everybody listening to this, I think it's so important to tell yourself the absolute truth. Are you selling out your winners too early? Are you hanging on to your losers too long? That is probably the biggest thing that you can do for your trading right now. Thanks so much for your time, Jason. Oh, my pleasure, Louise. And that's all for today, guys. Stay tuned next week to hear Jordan Michael Leedies from Coinjar and the Uncommon Podcast. I'm Caroline Stephen. Have a good week trading. Take care. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. This is super important because word of mouth is the most powerful way that people can get in touch with us. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast. And make sure you give us a big, fat five-star review because it helps people find us. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. 
The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation. Want to know the hottest sectors in the Aussie market? Now's your chance. Download my free Hot or Not special report from tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not. That website again, tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not.